right, what is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Jake Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Jake Brainy, for episode 112 of the pod. Uh, it is Thursday, January 28th. Uh, not a lot going on right now. You know, just had a couple days for Martin Luther King Day last week and, you know, New Year's. But I've been, you know, potting recently about the Browns. But giving you guys updates today, we're going to do a little bit more than just Browns. I've, I've kept it kind of Cleveland Central uh, last couple weeks, but we're going we're gonna to expand off of that. Going to play a couple games that I've been looking forward to and just a couple different experiments uh, with NFL free agency and stuff like that. So been pretty good. We got the Super Bowl coming up. Um, you know, this has typically been my thing in years past, but with uh, COVID and just a lot of uncertainty going around right now, it's probably not best to be you know, doing like a big super party. Uh, I've had COVID. I know a lot of people that have had it. Um, so probably gonna be laying low this year. Uh, we got Chiefs and Bucks. Uh, a lot of people saw this one coming. Um, Kansas City was the one seed. Tampa Bay was the five seed, you know, the top wild card in the NFC. And, you know, a lot of people saw it coming from the Chiefs. Uh, Buccaneers was a preseason pick, but throughout the season, they weren't really looking like, you know, hot shit all the time. Um, they did get here because of two questionable calls, one by the officials, they called a pass interference, and one basically by the coach, uh, Matt Lefleur, who decided to kick down eight, knowing that you might not get the ball back for Aaron Rodgers. Uh, I thought that was extremely... Not even risky, just like un- ill-informed. Like, what? What's the play there? Like, you still need a touchdown. It's not like by kicking a field goal, you say, "Okay, well, a field goal wins it for us now." If we get the ball back, that that's not even the case. So you were gonna need to score a touchdown. They had a fourth and goal. They instead of going for it, which I know it was a low chance of getting. I'm not suggesting they were gonna easily get the touchdown, but if you miss the touchdown, Tampa Bay has it on their own like eight yard line. And you still need to get the ball back and score a touchdown in the two-point conversion anyway. So you might as well go for it there because a field goal doesn't help you. It just gives you the chance of saying, well, if we give up a field goal and we get the ball back. But if you're giving up a field goal, you're giving up too many first downs. And I don't really see that being a thing. And the other advantage was if you kept the field goal now and you get the ball back and you score a touchdown, you win the game, and I, which I get. Like, that's great. But... Um, I don't know, I would have much rather had rolled the dice there. And then, of course, Tom Brady gets a pass interference call because that's what Tom Brady gets, you know. He only made the Super Bowl uh, against the Eagles because of uh, field, or, uh, a pass interference call, which was like a phantom call when they are playing Jacksonville. They should have lost that game. And then, uh, more recently, the year that they beat the Rams in the Super Bowl, the only reason they got to that Super Bowl was because of uh, D Ford lining up like an inch off sides uh, when he threw what was the game ceiling interception at Kansas City. So, you know, Tom Brady, as as great as he is and as great as a career he's had recently, has had a couple strokes of huge luck getting to the Super Bowl. But regardless, you know, they, they beat Washington on the road, they beat New Orleans on the road, and then they went into Green Bay and outplayed them. Green Bay just, you know, didn't really bring it. Um, in the other bracket, the Chiefs, they uh they had a much you know simpler path. They beat the Browns. We went over that game, and then when they played Buffalo, they really they really showed their muscle and they showed that they were the the cream of the crop in the AFC. And um 
you know, I, I was like torn. I, at, at one point, I was rooting for Buffalo because I was like, hey, you know, they're easy to root for. Josh Allen is easy to root for. Like, Buffalo fans are easy to get on the bandwagon. And it would be nice seeing a team beat Kansas City knowing that, like, hey, they can be beaten. They're not some, like, you know, earth destroyer that, like, no one can touch them. But that's what uh, I'm hoping to see out of Tampa in the Super Bowl. But regardless, you know, Kansas City now, if they do win it all, positive for the Browns is that you can say, hey, you lost the Super Bowl champs. You won a playoff game. Then you went to the one seed, the Super Bowl, the reigning champs. You gave them a good fight and you lost and they won the Super Bowl. So, like, that's a pretty good sign, uh, you know, going towards next year for the Browns. So I'm pretty happy about that. Um, I guess I'm rooting for the Chiefs. Uh, if Tampa wins, it's it's Brady, you know, just even furthering his legacy, which would be very impressive, especially in his first year without Belichick winning the Super Bowl with like, you know, Bruce Arians and, you know, a makeshift team that basically was, you know, a 500 team last year and wins the Super Bowl this year. Like it shows that like you can get really good in one season. I know Tom Brady is, you know, the goat, but at the same time, you know, right. The way he's playing right now is, Hey, if you give a 500 team, a, top 10 quarterback they can go to the Super Bowl I think the path is easier in the NFC don't don't you know I won't question that and we'll get we'll get into the path in the NFC in a little bit so um but Super Bowl uh it's not for another week uh, I'll give my prediction for the Super Bowl in that you know in the next podcast um uh, also going on right now you know I, I don't want to get too much into baseball and get too down right now because you know, it's really bummed. Uh, I could have reported on the Lindor trade a couple times by now. It's kind of old news. Uh, at the time, I was just more interested in talking about the Browns. So, you know, the Lindor trade wasn't really going to work into that. But they did They did deal him. They dealt him to the Mets with Carlos Carrasco. Um, it, it sucks. Like, it, you know, it, it. but we knew this was coming, right? The Indians' ownership has made it very clear that they cannot pay I mean, they could pay Lindor, but then they would only have $10 million for the rest of the roster. So, like, that wasn't going to be able to happen. Um, They're going to have a $30 to $40 million roster this year. They were able to bring back Cesar Hernandez. We're still waiting on the deets on that. But Carrasco, gone. Lindor, gone. Um, Kluber signed with the Yankees. Hand signed with the Nationals. Bauer just got an offer from the Mets. Who knows? Maybe by the time this podcast ends, he is a Met. Um, you know, Michael Brantley just signed another big deal with, uh, with Houston. It really does suck to look at this team and say, wow, you know, you know, Clevenger is, he's getting paid in, in San Diego, but like, it, it sucks to look at this team from 2016 that went to the world series. And you're thinking, ah, oh, the window is just opening. And the only players left from that team are Jose Ramirez and Roberto Perez, you know, like that's, it, it's a real dick punch. I still believe in you know the in, the players that the Indians have. I think they are building a nice like franchise, you know, like a nice farm system. But it's it's just hard to you know, it just sucks. Um, and it's not even like they didn't get good value for Lindor. Um, you know, they they got one of the Mets' best prospects, uh, Jimenez, and they got uh, Ahmed Rosario, a nice middle infielder, but. Um, you know, and then they got two minor leaguers, one being a pitcher, Josh Wolf, and an outfielder, Isaiah Green. Like, all guys with some some nice upside. Uh, they might flip Rosario because they have just so many shortstops. But 
Um, you know, it, it's it just sucks. It just stings, you know, um, to see all the other teams around you buying and paying and doing what it takes to win. And the Indians are like, well, hold on, you know, hold hold the phone here. So it just sucks, especially since now the next talk is going to be when does Jose Ramirez get traded? The guy's been playing, you know, on the Indians for I mean, it's it's just insane. He's he's getting paid six million dollars a year, and that's like the you know he had an MVP season at three and a half MVP. He came in third in MVP, but still he was making three and a half million dollars, whereas other guys are making twenty million dollars. Ah, I mean, one day Bieber's gonna be gone because you know why should he resign? It just stinks, and who knows? Maybe they even move the team. So not even not even gonna talk Cleveland Indians right now because it's just it's. It's whatever. Uh, the Cavs, I'll talk about the Cavs real quick. Um, you know, that has been a fun surprise. Uh, you know, watch them. They're only through 18 games this year. But Colin Sexton has arrived, and he showed it in the two Nets games recently. Um, there's also a theory uh, about the Nets game in which I won a big bet. I will get into that later uh, about the Cavs-Nets game. But he is showing, you know, Cavs fans knew that he has, you know, Donovan Mitchell potential. And they saw that last year and everyone was like, oh, well, it was just a small game. It was like, no, it was the last like 25 games. And now through his, you know, the 18 game season this year too, he's averaging like 25 points a game, maybe even more now because he just put up 29 the other night. And it's just like, it's really good to see that it's like, hey, he's not a point guard. He is a scoring guard that you can put at shooting guard and it's not like you need your shooting guards to be 6'6 anymore like they can be 6'3 and you're not going to die they have a you know playmaking point guard in Darius Garland who's he's really starting to show that like he has the potential it's just you want to see them all play together right now and you're not really getting that from the Cavs I don't know like if they're going to be competing for a playoff spot right now they're like the seven seed um Everyone in Cleveland wants them to get, like, one more good lottery piece. You know, if you can get, like, Cade Cunningham or one of those, like, I know he's probably going to be the number one pick, but if the Cavs were to get one more, like, top five guy in the draft, maybe it's like, okay, now we can roll. Now we have our core. But uh, I, I think they're ready to roll now. I think, you know, between Isaac Okoro and Chetty uh, Osman on the wing, they've been a lot of fun. They've been, you know, while... While Coro doesn't score much, he's barely shooting, and Jetty's been really nice, uh, kind of as like that um, Amoeba starter. You know, he is supposed to be coming off the bench, but since the Cavs have had so many injuries, whether it was to Sexton or Garland or Larry Nance or Kevin Love or Okoro, uh, he's been starting at basically the two or the three or the four on any given night, and he's been doing a great job. Larry Nance, he's been awesome. Um, he's missed the last two, but he's been great. Uh, Kevin Love, we've been pretty good without Kevin Love all season. And uh, Andre Drummond, everyone wanted to trade Drummond coming into the season. I don't know if we deal him anymore because everything is going well with the Cavs right now. And if you're only going to get like a second round pick, maybe just don't deal him and let him become a free agent again. And maybe they sign him for a one year deal or whatever. They hit a home run trading uh, Dante Exum. And the Milwaukee pick for Jared Allen and Torian Prince. Like, that was what a haul they got there. And I think they included a second round pick as well. But, like, that was incredible. 
because Jared Allen was a type of guy that we were looking to get in the draft. We didn't get uh, a Kung Wu. So it was like, all right, back to the drawing board. And then for just jumping in on the James Harden deal, the Cavs got a foundational big man in Jared Allen. He's played really well you know, since they got him, and he'll be the starter long-term. Right now he's backing up Andre Jumman, and he's also got JaVale McGee by his side, so we, we have some bigs. It's just really nice to see. Like This is a really fun team to watch. They've This is the most fun I've ever had watching a non-LeBron Cavs team. And like I know that's like weird to say, but you know LeBron had 11 seasons with the Cavs, and I'm 31 years old. So uh, there were a bunch of seasons, Cavs seasons, where he wasn't there. That, I mean, you know, I wasn't watching the Cavs in the 90s when I was like five years old. I'll admit that. But like, you know, ever since 2000, you know, this like era of Cleveland basketball, this has been the most fun they've been to, you know, watch outside of having LeBron James, the best basketball player of all time. So. Um, the Allen trade was just an A-plus to get in there. You know, they had that Milwaukee pick, which, like, everyone was like, hey, it is unprotected. However, you know, it was only going to be any good if Giannis walked this season. The moment he signed that contract extension, the Cavs were like, all right, we got to deal this because it's not going to help having the 28th, 29th, 30th pick in the draft next year. Um, but they dealt it, and they got Jared Allen, and they... Dealt Exum for Torian Prince, another wing who's been really nice uh, coming off the bench and also spot starting when we need it. It's just a really fun team to watch. And uh, I know, you know, it's basketball, it's NBA, it's whatever. uh, But, hey, it's fun. And uh, Kevin Porter, as much as I want him to be a foundational piece going forward, it's just not going to work. And uh, they had to deal him to Houston because he threw a bowl of soup or something in the in in the locker room when Kobe Altman moved his uh, locker but you can't have that he's the Cavs are trying to build a culture it's very important for them to be like look we can accumulate all these really good young talented players but that's not going to lead to anything if we have guys blowing up in the locker room and starting fights we're never no we're never going to be good that way so they needed to get rid of him. It stinks. They only dealt him for like a second round pick that they're never even going to get, which means they were just like, hey, um, it's addition by subtraction at this point. It's not even like they were getting anything for him. So really hurts. Huge dick punch to get rid of Kevin Porter Jr. Um, I really hope Dylan Windler shows something. He's showed in a couple games that he is pretty nice, but I don't know if he's ever going to be the type of guy that can go off for 30 points like KPJ did last year. Um so regardless, uh, it's just going to be important, I guess, for the rest of the season, not even to like make the playoffs, but to see what you have in the young guys and build on this foundation. If you do make, make the playoffs and make some noise, I mean, this is a team that beat the Nets twice last week. And, uh, you know, their big three was healthy and playing the whole game in the first one. And then uh, I think it was just KD that sat in the second one. Okoro's been real nice, really nice pick. Uh He's only going to get better, too. He's super young. Just like Garland, the both of them are super young and going to get better. So uh, it'll be interesting. You know, on one hand, I'll watch, I'll look at them in February and I'll say, all right, this team has to play Portland, the Lakers, the Suns, the Mavericks, uh, Milwaukee twice, Philadelphia. And you're going to say, like, okay, so realistically, they can go like one and nine. And then you're like, okay, we're back to tanking. But 
Uh, we'll see. And, and and it's just it's it's pretty cool because there are a lot to fun, a lot of fun to watch, and there are a lot to, like it seems like they're having fun. So, all right. Um, I could get into a lot of Brown stuff right now. Um, maybe I'll look more at like a Browns Super Bowl run next year. Uh, I'll look at that next week because there is a lot to get to. And I even opened up this podcast to do some listener emails, uh, listener questions. So that being said, I'm going to put the Browns on the back burner and just answer any questions that I got in the mail. Uh, but before that, I wanted to play a game. Uh, I want to play a game. This year, more than ever, I feel like we could have really crazy quarterback dominoes. You know, usually in the NFL, you have you draft a quarterback, he either works out and he stays there for a really long time, or he doesn't work out and you eventually have to draft a new one. It's you rarely see moving quarterbacks moving around from one place to another. Maybe. It happens like once an off season where a guy like Marcus Mariota, he you know he lost his job to Tannehill, so you see Mariota go get a backup job or compete with someone else, right? Like we've seen that before, um, or like you know Nick Foles, he loses the job uh, to uh, you know Carson Wentz, well loses the job, like you know he he basically never gets the job, so then he goes to a place like Jacksonville, and then Jacksonville ships him off to Chicago when they don't need him, so. It's like you've seen one or two moves in the past, but this one is this one's going to be huge because number one, there are a lot of young quarterbacks in the AFC and there are a lot of old quarterbacks in the NFC right now. You know, if you go into next season with the like, you know, the quarterback situation as it is. The Cleveland Browns with Baker Mayfield are going to have like the fourth oldest starting quarterback in the AFC, maybe like fifth. It's only behind guys like uh, Tannehill, Roethlisberger, and I'm, I'm missing one, and, and uh, Carr, and I'm missing one more. So, um, but the point is, it's crazy how young the quarterback core is in the AFC versus the NFC, where Drew Brees is likely going to retire. He hasn't announced it yet, so I'm, I'm not going to believe it until he announces it. Um, Aaron Rodgers is 37. Tom Brady is 44. He's not slowing down. Um, Phil Rivers already retired from you know the AFC, so that was the one that I was forgetting. But um, you know, in the NFC, it's like the average age of a starting quarterback is like 30, 31, 32, whereas in the AFC it's 24, 25. So you're gonna see a bit of a shift because it's not gonna stay that extreme, especially when you have a couple teams that need a starting quarterback, and a couple teams have a lot of money. And there are some teams in position to make some moves in the draft. So I'm going to play a quarterback matchmaker game. Uh, these are moves that I would like to see. Not exactly ones I think will happen. Um, but something that I th- just think is going to be fun. I've been saying some of these for a while. And some of them have become more uh, prevalent due to recent quarterback demands and team shifts based on head coach and stuff like that. So uh, without further ado, we're going to play the quarterback matchmaker game. Now, a common misconception when doing this is that any player can just be plugged in and will be the same as they were for their former team. You know, uh, like 
Deontay Johnson, he's excellent in Pittsburgh. Uh, but it's because of like his surroundings. You know, he goes to a team with a really good quarterback, good coaching, a scheme that you know develops him. Um, if you put Deontay Johnson on the Jags, he, he's not going to produce the same. Um, and, and that's a wide receiver. So like that's even tenfold for quarterbacks, right? You know, do you think Lamar would have had the same MVP type season for Freddie Kitchens or like who Jackson? Like, come on, like. Quarterback to fr- franchise is a relationship, and that's why I want to play the matchmaker game. You know, not everyone fits together, and that that's the problem that happens a lot in the NFL is that we force or it's, things are forced, even though they don't want to happen. You know, Dwayne Haskins and Ron Rivera, just not going to work. It it doesn't work on paper. It's like okay, Washington, young team needs a young quarterback. They get a young quarterback, and you get a veteran coach. You would think this works, but no, it's it just doesn't work. So sometimes you need things to like work out. Um, so let's play matchmaker. And for the teams that are looking for the right quarterback, the teams that need the right quarterback, um, we're going to go through. Okay, so um, a lot of teams are in the market right now. The number one, and you've heard this a lot right now, is Indianapolis Colts. Phil Rivers, he's gone. Uh, he retired. Jacoby Brissett is a free agent. The only quarterback they have on the roster is Jacob Eason, who's a mid-round pick. And at this point, you're only going to keep him on the roster to develop and, you know, who knows? Maybe it becomes something, maybe it doesn't, but that's a lottery ticket. So what I'm looking for is this is a team, they're on the doorsteps of winning the AFC. And I know that sounds crazy to hear, but if you think about it, you look at their roster, their defense is legit. They have a really solid uh, running back core of three guys. Um, and then they have a really solid offensive line, like one of the best in the NFL. They are, Anthony Costanzo did retire left tackle, so they will have to address that. But that's something that I think they can get in the first round because this draft has some very good offensive linemen. And I think when they're picking around that like uh, like 20 to 21 range, I think I think they're drafting 19th or 20th. Um, I think they're going to be in a perfect spot for a guy like Rashawn Slater or Christian Darisaw. Like, like there are a couple offensive tackles that could work really well for them. Um, that being said, this is a team, they're ready for commitment. They've gone through the ringer of the dating game. They've been with, you know, like the safe choice where like, you know, ah, that's what everyone, that's what your mom wanted. It's what, you know, what your parents wanted for you. But now they're ready for like the real deal. Take a risk. But someone that like, you know, has been out there too. How about Matthew Stafford, right? This is a perfect match for me. Indianapolis has a ton of money to burn so they can spend it on a quarterback that's making 25 plus mil. Uh, they don't have to take a rookie and get a rookie quarterback salary. Uh, if they can use their first on offensive line, and then they can acquire Matthew Stafford with, you know, I think a second round pick does this. He has basically, you know, him and Detroit came to a term saying like, hey, my time here has come to an end. I think it's time to deal me. Um, as a Browns fan, I don't want to see this happen. I don't want it to happen because I think this just makes the road to the Super Bowl and the AFC that much tougher because... If you take Indianapolis last year um, and just upgrade from Phillip Rivers to Matthew Stafford, they go from the seventh seed to they're they're definitely the best team in the South. So they win the South and they're possibly like the second or the third seed battling with Buffalo. So uh, that's that's a that's a really good match. I think that's just that would make everybody happy there. Stafford, 
Uh, I've had a couple other guys pegged to go to Indianapolis, but now I really like this one a lot because they are ready to go right now. So a Sam Darnold, where that might be great for the long term, you know, you can protect Matt Stafford and get another like five, six years out of him. That's the window for this team. That's a really good window because they have a lot of guys on those rookie contracts and they still have some money to burn. They have running backs that are on their rookie, young running backs that are on rookie contracts. And they're like one more wide receiver away from having just like a very complete core there too. Uh, I would be scared of Indianapolis if Matthew Stafford goes there. So, okay. Um, my next one. So I have the Denver Broncos and I think you got to stick it out with Drew Locke right now. You know, you have a really nice young quarterback in Drew Locke. Um, I think he's shown a lot, but again, it's only year two for him. So you got to give time for these guys to develop a little bit. Now, if you want to text the old flame, you know, because you haven't really committed to Drew Locke. So if you want to text the old flame, you know, maybe peeking in on Ryan Fitzpatrick, not the worst thing in the world. He's a free agent in Miami. And if Denver's saying, listen, we like Drew Locke as a long-term quarterback, but maybe not as the starter right now, right? Like, that's fine. You know, you can talk. You're not, you know, really committed to each other. So go talk to Ryan Fitzpatrick. Bring bring Ryan Fitzpatrick in for a couple dates Go to the playoffs because if you're Denver, you're looking and saying we have we should have a pretty good defense. On like on paper, their defense is pretty good, but they might be getting worse. And if they get worse, maybe you don't do a move like this. Maybe you continue to go into the dating game. But you're not a high enough pick to be getting one of these franchise QBs in the draft this year. So I say you make a run at Fitz, who has shown that he can still ball. He was one of the better quarterbacks in the AFC this year. Uh, he got benched. He shouldn't have. So I would say for Denver to shoot up a U-up text to Ryan Fitzpatrick. That's my guess. Okay. Now, Pittsburgh Steelers, they just added Dwayne Haskins. So that kind of like ruins what I was going to do. But I was saying that this is like buying low on the acne braces guy. Right. Like you're you're you look at him and you're like, you know what? Like he he's got a great personality and he's going to be great in the future. But right now there's not a lot there. So I like what they did by adding Haskins. I was going to suggest them go after Josh Rosen. Uh, I think that would really sting for the Browns uh, because I feel like Josh Rosen still can be really great. Dwayne Haskins, I'm not so sure about, but I really like the move that they made. So this kind of was like, you know, a layup choice because I, you know, it, it has happened, but I wanted it to be Josh Rosen. Um, th- there's nothing's going to happen with Ben Roethlisberger right now. He's not retiring. He's still owed a lot of money. They're going to come to an agreement where he gets less money this year, but he'll still play. So they're kind of stuck with Ben for a little bit, but by investing a little bit in Dwayne Haskins, you know, not a, not a bad idea. Not a bad All right, my next one, how about this one? Matt Ryan to the New England Patriots. This is the relationship that your mom wanted. This was the one that your parents were trying to set up when you guys were kids, and it just didn't work, right? Matt Ryan, he went to Boston College. He was a local kid, but he was drafted too high, and they had Tom Brady at the time. So it was never going to work 
But it was like, oh, this was the match made in heaven. He is Tom Brady in a lot of ways. He's got a nice strong arm, and they're even the same, like, similar ages. You know, Ryan's a little bit younger, but, you know, right now, the Falcons, they should be going in a different direction. They should try and get up to get Justin Fields. Maybe that's the number two pick. Maybe they can stay at four and do it. Um, But they should be moving in on Justin Fields and saying, hey, listen, we are going to shift gears. We are going to get younger faster and we're changing everything because the the that last Atlanta era is over we need to move on Julio's coming to an end of his career you have uh Calvin Ridley who's a really nice receiver and you kind of just like you need to like reboot everything else though and I think that starts with with um with Justin Fields so I like that for Atlanta well I'm gonna get into that in a second shit um yeah, so all right, I'll 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 do these both at the same time though. Matt Ryan, he's the relationship for New England. Like, oh, like they, they still have a pretty good roster. They still want to compete. Last season was like uh, was a garbage dump. So, if you look and you say this this New England team, they're only you know add a couple little pieces. Go make a trade for Matt Ryan, which should be like a mid round draft pick at this point. And all of a sudden, you're competing again to make the playoffs with a quarterback who is a veteran and can make all the throws. Last year, you had a quarterback who couldn't make any throw. This year, you know, you get Matt Ryan, you're back. You're and you're back in business. You're competing with New uh, Miami to be the second best team in the division, maybe a playoff spot. And then when you get to the playoffs, who knows? Matt Ryan, he's been there. Uh, maybe this is like a revenge season, especially since Brady's in Tampa. Hey. Go send Matt Ryan to New England. I feel like that would be great. And then the Atlanta Falcons, Justin Fields, go for it. The greatest love stories always start with a risk, right? Um, You don't really know with Justin Fields, but you know you really like him. And if you make a move for him and if you put yourself out there, this just is to me is like a perfect match. Uh, Fields is from Georgia. He's like, you know, so it would be like having the hometown kid is always like an added bonus. And he, what a great uh, consolation prize to not getting Trevor Lawrence is Justin Fields this year. And I just look at that as a really good combo. And I think they need to make like a plunge for him. Like they did when they went and got Julio back in 2011. Is They went up from the 20s all the way up to 6 with the Cleveland Browns and said, Hey, you know, we really want Julio. Like they, they moved up like like almost 20 spots to get Julio Jones, a wide receiver. So I think this is the type of move that they say, you know what, we are going to make this our franchise quarterback. A lot of things need to happen for that to happen. You know, like either the Jets need to decide that they're good with Darnold or they need to make a move for a different quarterback. And then the team that gets that pick, um, maybe they're okay with Darnold. So like, I'm not saying it'll be easy, but that's the match that I want to see. All right, my my next team, Philadelphia Eagles. Listen, you got to play the field. You know, just don't commit right now. Your team is in shambles. Uh, you need so much help in the secondary. Your defensive, uh, you know, your best defensive player, Fletcher Cox, is getting old. So you're going to be moving off him soon. You have a lot of old contracts. You really shouldn't be making a huge move for a high-paid quarterback right now because I don't think it's going to lead to anything. Maybe you win the NFC East 
and make the playoffs. But just the way the roster is built right now, I think there's more tearing down to come. So right now, you should be playing the field. You should be getting Jalen Hurts some playing time. You should be fishing Carson Wentz out there, seeing if you can get anything from, who knows, San Francisco, Atlanta, Indianapolis, um, Pittsburgh. I don't really know what the match is there, but if you could get something from Carson Wentz and just build up your draft capital, you just, like, you had a great relationship, but that's over it's now time to kind of like get back to your roots and feel yourself a little bit. Uh, I think that's Jalen Hurts. I think, who knows, maybe you, if you can get rid of Carson Wentz uh, without taking on too much of a cap hit, you sign a guy like Nick Mullins on the on the low. I think Nick Mullins, you know, he's like 25 years old and he's shown that he can really play, but he's also been like really bad at times. I think he just needs a stable situation. Who knows, maybe you bring back Nick Foles, because Nick Foles, he's everyone's favorite. I mean, now, you know, Peterson's gone, and it's a whole new situation there, so, you know, this would be more for the fans than anything, but you really, you shouldn't be sticking it out with one guy or another. You didn't invest much in Hertz, um, you did invest a lot in Wentz, but that, that ship has sailed, so I think Philadelphia, it's time for them to play the field. Alright, my next one, this is a big one. Big, big one. Chicago Bears and Dak Prescott. Look, this one I look at as your last relationship was a sham, right? Dak Prescott, you were in Dallas and it was Brad and Jen. It was like, oh my God, this is so perfect. This is everything. And then it just comes to a bloody, disgusting mess uh, of of an ending, and you're like, oh my god, what is going to happen? How do I up this? Well, if you're Dak Prescott, you look and you say, I deserve a big payday. I need to go to a team that's going to appreciate me. And that's not Dallas. And I'll get to Dallas after this. Right now, that's the Chicago Bears, because they have been so miserable at quarterback that you could just be average, and you will be like a saint to them. They're already a playoff team. They were 8-8 eight eight this year by going back and forth between Trubisky and Foles. 8-8, eight and, eight, and they didn't even have like, I mean, they didn't do anything offensively. They have a very good defense. But you had Dak Prescott there. They had a decent running game. David Montgomery had a very surprising year to, you know, that he performed well. I mean, I never thought he'd be more than like 800 yards uh, in a season, but he he was actually one of the better running backs in the NFC at times. But you look at Dak Prescott, he needs a team that's going to appreciate him, that's going to kind of like, you know, build him up to be the guy that he is instead of tearing him down like Dallas did. So I look at Chicago as the perfect situation for him. They need a big upgrade at quarterback. Dak Prescott, he's the best on the free agent market. Um, The problem is with this, this is the first one that I see that I'm like, this can't happen, right? Like, I just don't see Dallas letting him go right now. Uh, But Jerry hates wasting money. And... He's not, he's not going to fire Mike McCarthy after one bad season because he owes Mike McCarthy money for the next couple seasons. Uh, I mean, he wouldn't fire Jason Garrett. He just let his contract run out. He was like, all right, when we don't owe you any more money, we'll then fire you. But the way I look at Dallas is that they would let Dak go 
if they're not sure he can play right away. Meanwhile, Chicago, I feel like, is desperate. So, all right, but let's get back to the other side of that coin, right? For Dak to go to Chicago, Dallas needs to let go of him. What would the Dallas Cowboys do? Well, I look at them as you're an old man and you want that young, hot girlfriend and you don't care if she's dumb just as long as she's hot and she does whatever you want and she's your arm candy because you signed the prenup, right? That's Jerry Jones and his hot blonde girlfriend is Zach Wilson, a quarterback from BYU. He has a killer arm. He's a lot of fun to watch. He runs around. I, I already see him with the star on his helmet. It's going to make so much sense. Um, they have a high draft pick. They might need to move up a little bit to get him, which is is, which I think could be the halt in this plan. However, if a few teams ahead of them you know, figure out their quarterback situation, Zach Wilson could fall into their laps. So I look at Dallas and I say this is what they want. Jerry wants a young quarterback that he can kind of mold to his liking and be what Dak wasn't for him, you know? So I think that's what Jerry Jones and the Cowboys need, even though it might not be right to let go of Dak Prescott. Um, Dallas isn't a very good team right now. And maybe their best bet is to say, you know what, we're going to, we're going to go get a young quarterback and we're going to reboot this thing. Okay. So, the Jaguars, my next one. This I should have started with this because this is the most obvious, but it's Trevor Lawrence. Um, look, <coughs> excuse me, you got a great one. She's into you because you showed commitment. You tanked. Uh, you did what you had to do. Um, you have deep pockets. You have so much money. You're surrounding uh, Trevor with a really nice situation already, even though he's not even there yet. You're giving everything him he wants. And you live in Florida, so no t- uh, state income tax. So Trevor Lawrence, when you're looking at all these teams, you know, yes, it's not the biggest market, but in the NFL, you really don't need to be in a big market to get like, you know, huge advertisements. I mean, you just need to be marketable. Baker Mayfield, he's in Cleveland, not a very big market, but he's on TV all the time. People are complaining about how much he's on TV because he's so marketable. And if Trevor Lawrence is as marketable as everyone says he is, uh, he should have no problem. Jacksonville, they're already building up an offensive line. So that's a start. They have a young wide receiver, a young running back. They have basically a young stud in every position room on their team, except for quarterback. Uh, what they should also do is get like a veteran quarterback to back them up. That's actually where like a Nick Foles makes sense. Um, maybe even Fitzpatrick, but Fitzpatrick, like, that might be a little too good of a situation because it's like, well, you don't want, you know, you don't want Fitzpatrick to be playing well in the preseason and be like, oh, we're gonna stick with Fitzpatrick for a little bit. No, you kind of want it to be a Nick Foles, um, but uh, this is just the most perfect fit situation, right? Like th- this just makes too much sense because a, it's the number one pick, so obviously Jacksonville's gonna do it, but. If you're wondering, should Trevor not want to go there? No, absolutely. He should want to go there. They have a lot of picks, too. They have, like, an extra extra first-round pick. They're going to have a high second-round pick, so they can surround him with more pieces. If they wanted to get a Travis Etienne, if they wanted to add, like, a Terrence Marshall to add another, you know, boundary-wide receiver, th- this just makes a lot of sense. It's like the high school sweethearts. They're going to tie each other down at a young situation and be good for a long time. So good for you, Jacksonville. Good for you. 
uh, Trevor Lawrence. Uh, talk about a situation that's not great. This I predicted in early December and people freaked out at me. Now it's like on the doorsteps of happening because Deshaun Watson wants out of Houston. Um, a little background, what's going on with that right now. They just hired their head coach last night, the Baltimore passing coach. If they, you know, I know he's their interim head coach as well anytime, or assistant head coach, sorry, um, as the you know backup or interim head coach, whatever, if Harbaugh were to ever go down, he's the guy that steps in. So, like, yeah, that is, like, a bit of, like, a, you know, compliment, but, uh, you know, passing game coordinator, not exactly what you want. And this has been a whole thing with Deshaun Watson. Uh, last couple weeks is he's been really pissed off about the direction of this team, and he wanted a little bit of a say on who the head coach would be. He just signed a huge contract in last offseason, and... It seemed like they weren't going with any of the guys he wanted. It came down to this guy. Um, <clears throat> I forget his name already. Or, um, excuse me, uh, or Leslie Frazier from Buffalo. And it's like, that's that's a defensive coordinator. So not exactly what Deshaun Watson wanted to hear. So Deshaun Watson made his rumors uh, of wanting a trade factual by requesting a trade today. And he's going to be gone because basically Nick Casario, he doesn't want to get into this war with Deshaun Watson. Now, he could. He could say, hey, listen, you know, I'm going to give this guy a chance. Uh, I'm going to give my team a chance. But he shouldn't want to stay here because they don't even have a first round pick to help out the team with. And they don't have any money. This Houston situation is is in crisis mode. Now, here's the way I see this going for Houston. Now that Trevor Lawrence is a Jacksonville Jaguar, you are looking at the rest of the division saying, okay, the Jags have a ton of money, most cap room in the league. A One of the best quarterback prospects of all time. A stud in each position room. And they're going to only get better at this point. Okay, so that's Jacksonville. Uh, the only thing that could really ruin that is Urban Meyer like quitting in like October. Um, which could happen. <laughs> uh, I could. I don't think the Urban Meyer thing is going to last very long. He's going to want to be basically like Joe Paterno, where he's the head coach, but everyone else underneath him does all the work, and he's up in the booth coaching from there. Like I, I don't see it working, but who knows? Uh, so if you're Houston and you look at Jacksonville and you're like, shit, they are no longer the bottom feeders. Like they're going to jump Houston, um, Indianapolis is a quarterback away from being a Super Bowl contender. And guess what? They have enough money to go get a quarterback. And I think they'll get Stafford. They could get a Carson Wentz or Sam Darnold. Um, maybe they get Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't know. Um, but I think I think they're going to you know get the quarterback situation. So they're going to be the cream of the division. And Tennessee is not going anywhere. They At the very least, Tennessee is going to be just a tough, hard-nosed 500 football team. Like that's the worst I see Tennessee being next year. Like is nine and seven, eight and eight. Um, so you're Houston. You're like we're already at the bottom of this division. We can't upgrade through free agency because we have no money. We can't upgrade through the draft because we don't have a first or a second this year. So what do you do? Are you just gonna sick Deshaun Watson out there and have him just get hurt and hurt and play through injury and just like you know put up five thousand passing yard seasons, but it mean nothing as you go to four and twelve, like. I know you should never give up a franchise quarterback like ever, but you've just completely 
put yourself in a losing situation where what are you going to do now? Like, what is the answer? So I don't really know what they should do. And to be honest, if there is a deal out there, that's Sam Darnold, the number two pick, and two more first rounders, that's something where you say, you know what? If we believe in Sam Darnold, and then at number two, we can get either a stud wide receiver, Penny Sewell, or trade down and get more first rounders, or if you're like, we want Justin Fields, who is basically thick Deshaun Watson. You know, he has a bit of a stronger arm, but he's not nearly as like agile as Watson, uh, uh, you know, running around. But there's a lot of similarities in their game. Uh, it's not just a lazy comparison. You, you watch them play and you're like, okay, I see it. Um, but if you decide Justin Fields is the guy and maybe you can flip Sam Darnold to a different team uh, for more picks and you know, stack up, you have your 21-year-old quarterback, you have a lot of picks, you can surround him, you, all, you already have Laramie Tunsil and you're paying him, and maybe those picks can be more offensive firepower, who knows, maybe you can actually, like, start a rebuild, start this nice, and who knows, maybe in a couple years, uh, you'll be back on track to a playoff team. So, I unfortunately think you do have to trade Deshaun Watson, because if not, you're just going to waste his four-year contract and be shit out of luck because you're never going to be able to improve the team around him. Meanwhile, if you do trade him, you're going to be you know, stacking the room and getting yourself a nice spot of a rebuild. And then you can trade some other guys if you're like, hey, you're, you know, they don't really fit our timeline. You know, Maybe you move some of those receivers. Uh, and you get you know younger guys in the draft, cheaper guys instead of you know paying uh, out the butt for running backs and wide receivers for like David Johnson, Brandon Cooks. Um, that being said, I use the Jets as an example, but that's not the trade that I have happening here. The wife swap that I chose, that I said in early December, and that I'm saying right now, is the Houston Texans and the Miami Dolphins. Right? I looked at the Miami Dolphins and said, this team, they scare me. They have a defense that I haven't really been able to figure out yet. They spent a lot of money on that side of the ball. And right now, the only thing holding them back was, back was Tua. I think if if Ryan Fitzpatrick started like you know the rest of the season, that maybe they would have made the playoffs. You know, all they had to do was beat Buffalo the last game of the season, and they got they got fucking smacked. Um, but they were so close to making the playoffs. They were a 10-win team, and in a year where it was like, hey, it was just really tough to make the AFC playoffs, you looked at the that team and said, what one difference would have gotten them there? And it was better quarterback play. So Miami, they have Tua. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick's fee agent, he's gone. So this is Tua's team. But if you don't believe in him, why not trade Tua and first-round picks, which you have the number three pick thanks to Houston, which is ironic. Uh, you have your own first-round pick, and then you have an additional one next year. Why don't you make some of you know take some of these first round picks, take Tua, flip them for Deshaun Watson, right? This works in so many ways, um, because Miami they are they're like set now. They don't need to add a bunch of more young players. They're like they can do that and they'll continually be good and have a like a very good team. But if you want to be like a contender. Go make that trade for Deshaun Watson. 
make a trade for Deshaun Watson, and all of a sudden you have stud receivers to go along with your franchise quarterback, one of the best in the AFC, who's still young. I mean, he's only two years older than Tua. He's still really young. He's under contract. You have the money. You can make it happen. And it only costs you the extra first-round picks and pro- that you already got and one of your own first-round picks. But it would be so worth it. It would just be so worth it to make this plunge for Deshaun Watson that as a team, as a fan that roots for a team that they will be going up against, I'd be like, fuck, that's bad. That's bad because you look at the Bills and the Dolphins, you know, if Deshaun Watson goes to the Dolphins, you say there's no way they don't make they don't both make the playoffs next year. That's all that's automatically East winner and and a wild card right there. And that scares the crap out of me because if I don't know, are we going back to two wild cards, the two wild card team system, or are we sticking out with the three? I mean, if there's two right there, um, you know, the Dolphins get one wild card, the Colts, if they get Stafford, they go win the South. Then it's like Browns versus um, Steelers and Titans for that last wild card spot, and that's already in- excluding the three teams out west that have their quarterbacks. Ugh, it's it's scary, it's scary shit. <coughs> so, just saying that, just thinking about that, makes me think it's so worth it. Now, I was ripped to shreds by Miami fans who, when I suggested that, and I was like, I don't know, man, I feel like the one thing you guys need is a quarterback, and maybe two is it, but Big Cat said it best. Tua's waiting for his receivers to get Alabama open, not NFL open. And that's just not going to happen. Now, with that third pick, if you want to give Tua Devonta Smith, like, okay, that's going to be a really nice hookup. And with the other first-round pick, maybe add an offensive tackle. And you can keep building, and you'd probably be a very good team still. But does it take you to becoming like an AFC contender? I don't know. Or do you make that plunge and go after a surefire franchise quarterback? You know, this is a wife swap. Um, you know, on Houston side, you're trying to keep it alive. Uh, something that died a while ago. It's just not there. Your buddy is more into y- your quarterback than you are. And he's ready to make your quarterback happy. Meanwhile, he gives you Tua and a bunch of his young assets, allowing you to play the field more and also see if this works best for you while you're not wasting away with someone that doesn't want you. Miami and Watson are meant to be, and as, a, as ironic and twisted as it would be because, you know, they traded for Laramie Tunsil and they have your first-round pick and all that, it, it Tua to Miami was always a forced relationship. Everyone wanted to see it, and it's just like, I don't know, like, we forced Tua to either L.A. or Miami last year, and uh, my, Miami took him, and then the Chargers got Herbert, and guess what? The Chargers won that, so... I think this is the trade that needs to happen. And last but not least, the Jets. You're sticking it out with Sam Darnold. It's been rough, but you know there's something there. And the bad times are over. You have your foundational left tackle in Mekhi Becton. You have some good money out there where it's like, as much as I don't want to see them go spend on Juju Smith, and a couple other like high-priced receivers, I'd, I'd rather see them go out and pay an offensive line and get that going. Um, I, you know, Robert Salah, Sam Darnold, I think this can work. So I think you need to, to like stick it out. And I know it sucks because you have the number two pick, 
But if you're saying, you know, you want to take Justin Fields with that second pick and you want to deal Sam Darnold and get some mid-round picks, like I'm sure it could that could work too. But if you don't feel like there's a big difference, I think you stick it out with Sam Darnold. I think you trade down from two to four uh, and you get a couple nice high picks from Atlanta. And those are picks you can add to the war chest that you already have. You use a Jamal Adams pick. You use your high second rounder. And then you use the fourth pick. And who knows, maybe a future one from Atlanta and a number two from Atlanta. And all of a sudden, you have a ton of pieces and a lot of money that you can surround Sam Darnold with. You already have a left tackle. I think it's. I think that's going to be okay. I think it's going to work out. I know it's not as sexy as Justin Fields and as some of these other, you know, like you know, moves that are being made. But I think it's for the best. Um, the single life for good quarterbacks: Philip Rivers retired. Drew Brees, she should be retired. Uh, Cam Newton, uh, it's just not working out. I think. I think Cam needs to retire too before the NFL decides for him. Um, the fallback guys that are out there, Joe Flacco, Nick Foles, uh, those were ones I didn't mention. I mentioned Fitzpatrick to Denver. I thought that'd be good, but maybe Joe Flacco to uh, back up Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville. Uh, I, I like that as like a safe fallback guy. Uh, the It's complicated. Matt Ryan, um, right now that's a little complicated. Uh, Kirk Cousins, I think we're going to, right now there's no conversation, so there's nothing to be said right now. So um, they're just going to stick it out, and I think a year from now we're, we're going to be talking about Minnesota and the quarterback position a lot more. Um, but we didn't even talk about San Francisco, and I think that could be a Carson Wentz situation. Uh, they have, like, they have Garoppolo, but he's clearly not the guy there. So they need to make a move too, and I'm not really sure who that is right now. But there are a lot of eligible singles out there. You got Dak Prescott, Sam Darnold. These aren't all free agents, just guys that are available. Dak, Sam Darnold, Matt Stafford, Carson Wentz, Mitch Trubisky's a free agent. Um, which, you know, I know like you laugh when you hear that, but you've seen a lot of good stuff from Mitch Trubisky in the past. Gardner Minshew, Jimmy Garoppolo, Nick Mullins, Josh Rosen, Jacoby Brissett. We've seen some good stuff from him too. Uh, Jared Stidham in New England. Is he going to be the guy? I don't really know. So a lot, a lot, a lot of things can happen. Um, but those were just a, some of my predictions. Not even predictions because I don't think they'll all happen because it's there got to be dominoes that happen to make that like work. But if Atlanta moves up with the Jets and goes after Justin Fields, all of a sudden, then things start to happen because then Matt Ryan gets dealt. We know Stafford and Deshaun are, have really high chances of getting dealt. Um, Detroit's going to need a quarterback. I think they end up taking like a Trey Lance um, or maybe, who knows, they, they sign like a Trubisky and they fuck themselves up. All right, that's enough of the quarterback roundtable for now. But Detroit is an interesting one. I didn't even think about that after, after dealing Stafford. What do they do? But I think Lance is a good spot there because you've got a new head coach, you're trying to reboot the system. Why not go for Trey Lance? All right. Email or questions. Finally getting to this. I'm going to try and rip through these. All right. I'm not saying who these questions are from. I'm going to leave it completely anonymous. Uh, but I'm going to go through who people have asked. These are all going to be football related. However, some will be fantasy football. Some will be NFL. Some will be free agency, draft, Browns, you name it. Okay. 
All right, first question. Uh, would I value Lamar Jackson at $40 below, above, whatever in fantasy football? Um, I, for those of you who don't you know, play auction, this might not uh, you know make much sense, but $40 would make him like the number one quarterback. I do not. I think quarterbacks... If you know you're getting someone awesome like that, that is great. It's always good to be, you know, be sure that you're adding an awesome quarterback. However, you know, Lamar, um, I, I felt like last season was a bit of a flash in the pan, and we saw that again this year. He was like the tenth best, friend, uh, you know, fantasy quarterback. He can explode at any moment because he can basically go for a forty-yard touchdown run at any time. So I get that, like he as has that ability. However, it's just like there's. It's such a quarterback-driven league that I would just look around at the one, two-dollar guys and say, "Hey, look, Josh Allen. Nobody, nobody picked him up, you know." And I know, like, obviously that was the choice this year, but it just seems like there are always guys around that you can get for cheaper, and you spend forty dollars on a running back like Nick Chubb that you know is going to be awesome. Uh, in a position that's kind of hard to get because there are only so many quarterback uh, um, uh, running backs out there. Okay, um, quarterback market predictions. I already did that. Uh, who are your immediate impact rookies in the NFL for this upcoming season? This is a fun one. Um, you know, I do think Justin Fields is like the big immediate quarter. I, 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 it's funny. I, I, I skip right over Trevor Lawrence. Obviously, he's uh, the impact one. I already consider him a Jacksonville Jaguar. It's kind of funny. Um, I would see at the quarterback position, definitely Fields and Lawrence. Um, they're going to start step in right away. I don't know if that's going to be the fa- uh, the case with guys like Mac Jones, Kyle Trask, uh, Trey Lance, even Zach Wilson because he was playing you know BYU. Uh, but with Fields and Lawrence, I think they start right away. Lawrence, I think, is going to be killing it right away. Fields, I, I'm I'm interested. It's got to be where does he go? Is he going to a you know rookie head coach? Is he going to a team that's going to like protect him. So that'll be a, a bigger question is fields, but Lawrence, I think will be big time right away. Um, there are a bunch of offensive tackles that I really like that. I think is going to, you know, you can start right away. I already mentioned Darisaw and Slater earlier. Um, they're not even the top tackles. Penny Sewell, uh, I think that's how you pronounce it is going to be uh, big time out of Oregon. Uh, I look at him and I'm like, man, him to the Bengals just makes so much sense. But even if um, if like the Dolphins, they don't trade their pick and they keep it, I think that's a, a home run pick for them too because you want just, you know, if you have a young quarterback, you need to make sure you have the offensive line that you're protecting them. So I look at those, you know, those are a couple offensive tackles that will make an impact right away. Uh, Jamar Chase is my wide receiver one. I absolutely think he is going to be the big impact guy. Even over Devonta Smith, I think uh, I think Devonta Smith's going to be really good. But again, I think his will be a lot on situation. Does he go to a team where he's just the threat downfield, or does he go to the team that's going to incorporate him into the offense on things like sweeps and uh, uh, pre-snap motioning? Um, it, is he just going to go to Philadelphia, and are they just going to say, go straight, or run this route, or run that route. Like, I want to see him go to a creative offensive mind. Um, you know, you saw that in the playoff games that he had. They were moving him around so much where Ohio State was like, I, we can't even keep up with him, and the ball's not even snapped yet. And I know Ohio State had some problems with him, and, I, and they didn't they didn't even try to address it, which was like, 
it was like frustrating to watch because you're just like sitting there. You're like, look, I know he's awesome. I know this kid is going to kill it and basically be the problem in the national championship game. However, can you at least like, you know, try and make it look like you care about like covering him? I don't know. The one though, the one player that I am really like, you know, torn on is, uh, and is Kyle Pitts. He's right now after like the the biggest threat as a non quarterback in this draft to be like the best player. Um, I would even like look at him versus Penny Sewell as the first non quarterback taken. And I know that's nuts to consider as a tight end, a position that routinely takes a while for guys to kind of master in the NFL, but. I just look at, you know, you have a guy like Darren Waller in, in, in Las Vegas. And he's getting t- 10 to 15 targets a game. Why can't you do that to a guy like Kyle Pitts? Like, you know, oh, he's not a wide receiver. Oh, are you going to move him to wide receiver? No. You keep him at tight end. And you make him the biggest mismatch in your division. So, I could see him going to almost any of those teams. As long as you don't need a quarterback... Like, he could go to the Jets at number two and just be a pain in the ass for everyone to cover because who do you put on him? He has the speed of a receiver. So it's like, okay, you're going to put a corner on this guy who's 6'6"? Uh, that's not going to work. And it's not like you just decide, like, oh, well, he's a tight end, so he's only going to get, like, four or five catches a game. Like, you know, if you're going to draft a wide receiver that high, I don't see any problem with drafting Kyle Pitts that high. And just watching him, just, just like... Man, it, just watching him play against Georgia, I mean, that wasn't even, like, his biggest game, but you watch him just against Georgia, you're like, he is just, like, untouchable. And if you go to a team that has, you know, and, and I really like, you know, Robert Salah brought over some guys from San Francisco, and I think that's the type of team that you, you could send this to. So, I don't know, I mean, maybe the best thing for the Jets to do would be trade down with a team like Atlanta, someone that really wants Justin Fields, and you then take Kyle Pitts in the top 10 and you continue to surround Darnold with weapons like him and you pay money to Kenny Galladay or Juju Smith-Schuster or just like a wide receiver to have out there. And, you know, Kyle Pitts is going to be just opening up so many running lanes for your running backs too because your linebackers have to be honest on the tight end that's streaking across the middle. So... I really like Pitts as as a huge impact guy, and that's saying something. You know, it's it's not, it's I, probably people will think it's not very bold to say that, but I think he's like, I think people are forgetting how often tight ends take a long time to you know really settle in in the NFL. Uh, but with Pitts, I really think he could break through that stereotype and just be an immediate impact guy. Plus, if you're taking Pitts high, you're like, listen, we plan on using him. You know, this isn't going to be T.J. Hawkinson. This is going to be, this is going to be number one wide receiver type shit. So, uh, that's like that's my guys on offense. Uh, running back wise, look, it all depends on the opportunity. I I never want to put this on running backs ever again because like, it's just so hard to be like, oh, this running back is going to be better than this one because it all comes down to the opportunity. Like, Nick Chubb went to the Browns in a year where, like, running backs were going everywhere. And I really think, like, had Sonny Michelle gone to the Browns, he'd be putting up similar type stuff to Nick Nick Chubb. Injuries aside, of course. Only, you know, you can never, like, take that into account. But, um, 
And that's Nick Chubb. I think Nick Chubb's a special running back, but a lot of times it comes down to the opportunity. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, he's the perfect example. Last year, if the Chiefs drafted DeAndre Swift and not Clyde Edwards-Alaire, like DeAndre Swift would be the guy going for 50 bucks in fantasy football. And Clyde would be one of another guy at, in Detroit where he's like, oh, well, he's fighting with Carrion Johnson and Adrian Peterson for snaps. And it's like, well, okay, all right. I mean, he's just another running back in their stable. So opportunity is huge. And uh, so, you know, if you're going to ask for, like, which running back is going to be worth it, you know, you, you immediately look to Najee Harris and Travis Etienne. But I want to look at where they go, too. So uh, I'll answer that question in August, uh, or in April after the draft, I guess, but August for fantasy football season. Uh, Defensively, though, I really like the cornerbacks in this class. I need to watch more film, and I'm going to be doing more draft talk, but it seems like after uh, Patrick Sertain Jr., I don't even know what's the best cornerback in there because like some people are saying it's Caleb Farley, but he sat out this year. You know, other people are saying it's J.C. Horn for South Carolina, and he looks really good too. And then there's guys, like, there's just guys everywhere. And there are some small school guys. There are some smaller guys. Um, Newsom from Northwestern I really like. Um, I like both of the corners in Oregon. So I think some of those guys, I really like corners making an impact. Uh, Trevin Morig, I think is the way you pronounce it, safety out of TCU. I really like him. And Andre Sisco out of uh, Syracuse. Those are my two like favorite safeties in this class right now. Uh, still want to look at more more guys in every position group, by the way. Uh, and then Boogie Basham, uh, D-end out of uh, Wake. I really like him uh, kind of at like, the end of the first round, along with Quiddy Pay, D-end out of Michigan. And... Uh, and my favorite draft crush is Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa. Again, all these defensive guys, it matters who they go to and where they. I can't really say who's going to be the biggest impact guy until I know what team they're on. Um, but those are some guys that I'm thinking right away, if they go to the right situation, they're going to uh, make a big difference. Okay, next question. I've spent a lot of time on that. We'll do a lot more draft stuff going forward. Uh, I know I have some friends that are Jets and Giants fans. Those teams are drafting high. They're going to be a lot of fun to follow a little bit. Uh, a lot more fun than the Browns this year when it comes to draft season. Okay. Um, all right. Someone wants to know, would you trade Baker uh, for Deshaun Watson? Uh, he joked and said in a first uh, for Watson. I joked back and said maybe if it was Watson and three firsts. Um, no, I'm not trading Baker Mayfield for, like, maybe any quarterback that's not Patrick Mahomes. And here's why. The Browns have their match. They have their quarterback, head coach, offensive coordinator combo. Like this this is working. It's really it's a really good thing. So it's only gonna get better because this was year one of this relationship together. I think if you tear that down and take away some of the Browns assets in the process you're kind of going to be starting over from scratch. I know Deshaun Watson's great, but we know Baker Mayfield is great. And some people don't think Baker Mayfield is great yet, but I mean, you got to rewatch his tape versus Kansas City. I know he had a bad interception and it sucks because like he literally it was his second interception since like the beginning of October. He had been throwing the ball so well. 
But through all the ups and downs of the Browns season this year, Baker Mayfield had been so steady for a really long time. And he's proven so much this year. So outside of the fact that I've always been a big fan of his and that I wanted him in the draft and that everything has like, you know, kind of lined up for the Browns and Baker, you don't trade a franchise quarterback when you know you have one just to make a marginal upgrade. And if you're saying Deshaun Watson's a big upgrade from Baker Mayfield, I'm okay with you thinking Deshaun Watson is an upgrade, but I think you need to pay attention to how good Baker Mayfield is. Watch his tape against Kansas City. You will you will see trick shot like video. It's it's insane what he was able to pull off there. And if you just give him more time in this offense, more time with Kevin Stefanski, you give the offense more time to learn the offense. You give um you know Odell Beckham or uh, bring back another bring in another deep threat this is something that this offense needs because it was tough enough for the tight ends and running backs to operate when there was no deep threat and they still operated really well bring in a guy that's gonna say hey the safeties have to play me honest and you're gonna have you know guys always keeping their eye out for me and the corner is gonna be playing a little bit deeper uh it's gonna open up things for the running game it's gonna open up things for the tight ends uh it's gonna open up things for Jarvis Landry who right now he isn't a deep threat so he's basically just a much quicker tight end so add in a little bit of a deep threat on offense and I think you're gonna see some really great stuff out of Baker Mayfield next year and look, in video games, if you want to make moves to marginally upgrade your quarterback position, sure, go for it. But in the real world, you need uh, a relationship and you need things to time to marinate and, and to work things out. And right now, that's what the Browns are doing. They showed this year that Baker Mayfield and Kevin Stefanski are the right guys for the job. Uh, now we just need to work on it. So uh, that's what I think about that. I would not trade Baker Mayfield uh and picks for Deshaun Watson. I would not trade Baker Mayfield for Deshaun Watson and a pick or two because right now the most valuable thing the Browns need is time to to learn everything. And uh unless you're going to package like two firsts with uh Deshaun Watson which they don't have um yeah, you know, it's not happening. Okay. Um, which rookie offensive tackle did best this year? Uh, at first, the question was directed at Andrew Thomas versus Mackay Becton. Becton did better than Andrew Thomas, um, you know, no matter what type of grading format you're looking at. Uh, however, neither of them was the best rookie offensive tackle. Actually, neither of them were even a top two one. Uh, Becton was great at times, and he had some really nice highlights. He did miss too much time, and he did have some lowlights. Um, as did Andrew Thomas, but um, Tristan Wirfs was probably the best tackle. He wasn't a left tackle, he was a right tackle, but this was the guy that went fourth of the four offensive tackles in the draft. Some thought he would go first, some thought he would be taken by the Giants. I wanted him to the Browns, um, but I was very happy with Jedrick Wills, who was the best of the left tackles this year, Jedrick Wills. Um, he did miss some time uh, in a couple different games, and he did have a couple of uh, you know of mishaps like any rookie would, but both in the running game and the passing game he excelled, and I think he was just overshadowed by the fact that he was the fifth best offensive lineman on his team. But that shouldn't take away from him because you know Wyatt Teller and Joel Batonio were two Pro Bowl guards. 
Uh, J.C. Treader was one of the top five centers in the NFL this year, and Jack Conklin was first-team All-Pro at right tackle. So that leaves Jed Wills, and it looks like he's the you know ugly duckling of the crew, but he had a very solid season. I'll say he was the second-best of the offensive tackles this year. Mekhi Becton was third, but the best was Tristan Wirfs, who had just a killer season at right tackle uh, for Tampa Bay. Uh, that's not saying a lot. Those four guys are very good. And all four of them, uh, you know, are basically franchise tackles. So I wouldn't be, uh, you know, like kind of down on that for long. Okay. Um, all right. There's only time for one more question. I'll leave the rest of these questions for another time. But here we go. All right. All right. This last one isn't really a question. I am addressing slanderous remarks that have been made out there. Okay. Uh, recently, a close personal friend of mine, recently, this was almost two weeks ago, uh, had a Browns statement to make. And I know it was 100% just trying to get under my skin. Uh he doesn't actually believe this because I really think he's uh, at least somewhat smart or at least like a functioning adult. Uh, so I don't think he actually meant this because this is just a horrible take. But uh, everybody's been asking for my response uh, because they know this is my favorite player. So I need to you know talk. Uh, the statement is uh, that Joe Thomas was a terrible teammate because even though he was a great player... He contributed to a losing culture and allowed mediocrity to happen around him. It's only since his retirement that the Browns have become a winning team. He then tags me, responses happen, and then he says, I guess my real point is that now that the Browns are good, they don't have to celebrate players from the pre-Baker era anymore. Uh, okay. So, I mean, he kind of makes two different points there, which is frustrating, too, because it's like, yes, we don't have to celebrate Joe Thomas because we have good players now. It's not Joe Thomas's fault that the Browns started drafting good players once he retired. Um, you know, Miles Garrett and him were on the same team for, like, a year, maybe. Um, but, yeah, drafted Baker Mayfield after Joe Thomas retired. Same with Denzel Ward and Nick Chubb. Uh, acquired some of the other really good players we have. But, so, yeah, I mean, have are we celebrating players that aren't Joe Thomas? Yes, but that's what being good is about, is that you don't have to celebrate guys that used to be on the team. I mean, if the Detroit Lions put together an awesome team, they wouldn't be celebrating Barry Sanders. They'd be talking about players since Barry Sanders. Uh, instead, they only have Matt Stafford to talk about. Um, in terms of contributing to a losing atmosphere or environment and accepting mediocrity, uh, just, uh, just horrible. He was always helping out with quarterbacks. He never took off a play. You know, if he was accepting mediocrity, he would have taken some plays off. Uh, he is very famously known for never missing a snap. The first snap he missed actually happened after his last snap ever. So he really never missed a snap. He got hurt and never played again. And that was after 11 seasons of 10 Pro Bowls, uh, eight All-Pro teams, yeah. And, uh, and basically being the best left tackle in the sport for a really long time. Um, 
I know that this was just, you know, trying to get under my skin. But if you actually think, like, oh, he contributed to a losing team, like, no. The Browns' poor drafting contributed to a losing team. We wasted Joe Thomas. We were bad. Uh, we had a, we owe Joe Thomas better quarterback play. You know, he had to block for, <laughs> I mean, Deshaun Kaiser, Johnny Manziel, Connor Shaw, Jake DeLome, uh, Josh McCown, Charlie Fry, Derek Anderson, Brady Quinn, um, Seneca Wallace. I, I can I can go on and on like there th- th- that's way too many quarterbacks for an offensive lineman to have blocked for and I'm not even like oh Brian Hoyer Jason Campbell Brandon Whedon uh, Robert Griffin the third it, it it goes on and on and on and on and and on and on it actually continues to go so Austin Davis don't forget Austin Davis um, yeah. So it's it's really not worth addressing, but people are going to keep bothering me until I address it. No, uh, Joe Thomas was not a bad teammate. Joe Thomas is one of the best teammates, considering all the shit that was going around him, and he never complained. He always put his hat on and went to work, and he continues to root for the Browns uh, way more than any ex-player roots for their teams. He goes on air basically like jeopardizing his opportunities to get more airtime because he is so blatantly a Browns homer. You know, usually they don't put guys on the air if they know they're going to be rooting hardcore for one team, especially one that the NFL doesn't really market all that much. They market Baker Mayfield, but that's more Baker Mayfield marketing himself. Um, it would be one thing if it would be a New England Patriot or uh, a Green Bay Packer, a Dallas Cowboy, someone that's like, oh, the NFL pushes this agenda, pushes those teams, so we're going to put on guys on the air that root for those guys, or at least talk about those guys. But Joe Thomas, an employee of the NFL Network, um, goes on, constantly roots for the Browns against people's wishes, and basically sticks his neck out for guys he's never even played with, but he roots for them still. He still has a Browns podcast. He has a beer in Cleveland. He goes to games, even though like you really shouldn't be going to games right now. And he is still supporting the community. Um, th- there's just so many reasons to say that Joe Thomas was a great teammate. He continues to be a great teammate, even to guys he's not even a teammate of. Um, it it is something interesting that we don't have to we don't celebrate him nearly as much. Um, I mean, maybe you don't celebrate ex-players. I don't really know. Um, but, yeah, if you're looking at the new era of Browns football and who is, like, the quintessential, like, oh, this is who we root for. Um, or uh, I'm sorry. Um, if you look at the new Browns era, 99 to current, and you say, who is on the Browns Mount Rushmore? The new era of Browns around Mount Rushmore. A couple years ago, it was like, well, it's Joe Thomas, it's Phil Dawson, the kicker, and Josh Cribbs, uh, the return man wide receiver, and then there's an open spot. Like, that was that was really, like, the answer. It was like, well, you know, uh, you could put Derek Anderson, he went 10-5 and five one season, you know, after not even starting the first game. Like, that's worth being there. And, like, sadly enough, that's kind of worth being there at times. Or you could be like, oh, you know, Brady Quinn. Every Browns fan loved Brady Quinn, even though he was terrible and never was any good. But no, now the Browns have many options there. Maybe maybe Joe Hayden would have been the fourth one there because he was actually pretty good when he was on the Browns. Or maybe you put on like a guard like Eric Steinbach, Alex Mack, the center, 
guys that were good for a short period of time. But now the Browns' Mount Rushmore is still offensive tackle Joe Thomas. It's running back Nick Chubb, who is climbing up the Browns' all-time rushing ranks even through three seasons. Defensive end Miles Garrett, who has been basically one of the best defensive players of the AFC ever since he's come into the league. And quarterback Baker Mayfield, guy who won 12 games this past season, has started the most games uh, in a row for a Cleveland Browns quarterback since like the 70s or maybe even 60s. So yeah, and he's now cementing himself as an all-time Cleveland Brown knocking on wood, even though he's only into year three of his career, but that's just how bad it's been. So uh, that addresses the celebrating of former players. That addresses the Joe Thomas, the teammate, and it certainly addresses uh, what he made a Don Mattingly comparison. Uh, I'm like, yeah, sure. Was he a great player on a terrible team? Like, no one's doubting that. But to say he was a bad teammate, I mean, come on. That's just lazy. It's just lazy, and I expect more out of you. So, all right, that is my podcast. This went way, 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 way too long. Um, but, you know, sometimes you get riffing and rolling. For the questions I did not answer that you guys were really hoping I was going to talk about, uh, tune in next week to the Jake Podcast. I will be answering more questions. I'll be getting more into the NFL draft, more into the Super Bowl next weekend. Uh, thanks, everyone. Have a great weekend.